Hey guys, welcome to a Light in the Darkness podcast. I'm Carly Robison. I'm a wife, a mother, and a person who's been suffering with severe health challenges for over 10 years. Through that time, I've had successes and failures while trying to maintain a positive attitude. Now I want to share what I've learned with you, hoping to make your hard times a little easier. This podcast is to help those of us facing times of darkness and trial find ways to let the light in. Welcome back to the A Light in the Darkness podcast, episode five. Today I have somebody on the show that I think a lot of people will resonate with. It's my friend, Jake Melton. Thanks so much for being here, Jake. Thank you for having me. So I want to tell our listeners just a little bit about you. Um, Love where you live. That's the mission of Utah realtor Jake Melton. He has moved 12 times in the last eight years and has come to appreciate what it means to live somewhere you love. He helps his clients not only find homes they love, but make sure they're also in love with their neighborhoods and communities. Along with being a licensed real estate agent, Jake is a public speaker, author, and mental health advocate. In 2018, Jake published Minimalize to Maximize Your Happiness, Cut the Crap, a book about the essence of minimalism and what it means to live a simplified, decluttered life. Jake initially pursued minimalism at a point in his life when he couldn't find any other options to cope with his mental health struggles. Diagnosed with anxiety, depression, and PTSD, he has also dealt with Tourette syndrome since he was a little boy. Jake has become a proud voice and representative for the Tourette Association of America and spends as much time as he can supporting Tourette syndrome and other mental health causes. He, his wife of eight years, and their two beautiful children live in Salt Lake City, Utah. He loves real estate, design, exploration, traveling, Diet Coke, and personal development, basketball, music, barbecue, and the beach. So thanks again for being here with us. So Jake and I met in a pretty random way (laughs) about five years ago, I think. Um, My son wanted, he really wanted a drum set for Christmas. And it was out of our budget. And I kind of was just thinking, oh, it's not going to happen. And then I came across an ad for a youth set on Facebook on the yard sale page. And when I went to pick it up, we realized that we lived in the same neighborhood. (laughs) So the drum set was a big hit, no pun intended. (laughs) We've been Facebook friends ever since. Um, But a couple of years ago, I was, I was really impressed with Jake's vulnerability as he, he started posting a lot of information about Tourette syndrome. And so I asked him to be on my podcast so that he could teach all of us a little bit more about it and to give us some strategies that he uses to help deal with this trial that he's had for really most of his life. So first of all, can you tell us, um, I really didn't know very much. I probably still don't know very much about Tourette syndrome. In fact, as I'm looking at your bio, I call it Tourette's syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> that wrong? <laughs> you know, you know, what's funny is for the longest time I said the same thing. I have Tourette, but it's actually Tourette. And as I got more involved with that Tourette Association of America. I started hearing that more and more. And I was like, wow, I've been saying it yeah. wrong my whole life, what I've had. And so yeah, it's, I guess the proper way to say it is Tourette syndrome. But yeah, awesome. don't worry. I've My whole life, I've said it the wrong way too. <laughs> so what exactly is Tourette syndrome? So Tourette syndrome is a neurological disorder and it's made up of involuntary tics. 
And Tourette syndrome usually comes in the form of two different types of tics. One is motor tics and the other is vocal tics. And so uh, years and years ago, like even when I was in middle school, so this would have been over 20 years ago, um, I'd see videos on YouTube of just like people making fun of other people and throwing out curse words and repeating sounds over and over again. A couple movies, they had characters who would do things like this. And those, a lot of what people just kind of assume Tourette syndrome is, is more of that vocal side. So blurting out, again, cuss words, blurting out random phrases, blurting out sounds uncontrollably. 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 Um, But what a lot of people don't recognize, too, is that, again, there's that other piece, which is the motor tics. And so that is actually the form of Tourette syndrome that I have. I do not have the vocal tics. I do have the motor tics. So... What the motor tics are, and it, and it usually comes in waves. So usually you'll have one tick, one or two ticks, and then after a couple months, it'll switch to a different tick, and that one will go on for a couple months, and then it'll go to another one, and you'll just kind of like cycle through the same ones over and over. So for the last 15, 20 years, I've had the same ticks over and over again, just at different times. Different times, interesting. Uh-huh. And sometimes they'll last a couple of days, sometimes they'll last a couple months. And then I've had some that have been a couple of years and they've been just continual. So, um, that is the form of Tourette's I have. So the motor, you know, a lot of the ones that they have is throwing up a shoulder or grabbing, grabbing your head or shoulder like this, um, bobbing your head, blinking excessively. Um, what are some other ones? Some people will have ones where they'll like, they'll like yank or they'll do something like that. Uh, They'll pull their arm. There's a lot of different ones, but the more common, again, are more with the shoulder, the head, the eyes. Um, And those have been the ones that I've had. So the the one that has been the most trouble to me is a shoulder one like this. So I'll throw my shoulder up. Painful. It does. It does get painful. It does. And I feel, I always feel like my shoulders are uneven uh, because I do that. So I always feel like, and and it's hard because it's it's uncontrollable. Again, it's so with that being the case, if I, do it on this side. I mentally want to do it on this side. So I feel like I can control this one, but this one I feel like is out of my control. So it's, it's so, uh, it's definitely a weird uh, thing to deal with when you know it's happening, but there's nothing you can do to stop it. Well, I appreciate you teaching us about it. So what would you say kind of, when was the first time you recognized um, a tick or something that was going on in your life? So it actually started with my parents recognizing okay. the ticks. I didn't even realize I was doing it. So it was probably when I was about five or six years old. Oh, wow. And uh, I was hanging out. We were just at a friend's house. And I was playing with my friend with toys on the floor. And our parents were sitting on the couches behind us. And um, my parents kept asking me to stop doing something. And at that time, I didn't really. And it's weird because I can actually remember this. They, I didn't realize what I was doing. But what I was doing was I was clearing my throat. So I was going, <clears throat> and I kept doing that over and over and over again so my parents you know would say hey Jake stop why are you doing that and I would catch and realize what I was doing but then I'd start playing and it would just happen again and happen again and so um, it was involuntary exactly and uh, so from five until I was about 15 years old stuff like that would happen Um, there were even some OCD things that I would do, which, um, 
for those who aren't familiar with Tourette's syndrome, there are other things that can uh, that you can experience when you have Tourette's syndrome as well. Some forms of OCD, some forms of ADD or ADHD. And when you have those going on with Tourette's syndrome, they're more enhanced. And so uh, I would run up the stairs and run down and then I'd have to run up the stairs again and run down or I would do the door handle thing. And I would, that happened a lot when I was again, younger than 15 years old or so. Mm -hmm. So flash forward to high school. Um, I was involved in Boy Scouts. I was in Young Men's, obviously active in that. Um, I was in acting. So I was in plays in high school and middle school. I was in basketball. I played volleyball. So I was really active in all sorts of different things. And it was about when I was 15 or 16, I was in high school and I was involved again in all these things. Um, At that time, my dad was actually had, he had just been diagnosed with a terminal illness. So they'd given him six to seven years to live. So that was when I was 14 was when he got that diagnosis. So I had a lot going on in life at the time. And I noticed that apart from the stress I was already dealing with of all that, my grades were just like suffering. I could not focus in class. I couldn't sit still in class. Um, and at that time, that was kind of when this shoulder shrug had entered my life. Mm-hmm. So I would always sit in the back of the class if I could and lean my Aww. shoulder against the wall. So if I did it, it was, you know, minimal yeah. and I didn't want anybody else to notice. Yeah. And so it started getting so bad that I was in pain. Um, I started, I w- wasn't really ever bullied for much, um, but it got to the point where people, especially in when I, in my drama class and stuff, they recognized I was doing this because before plays or during crunch time, I would start excessively blinking or I do that shoulder thing and Is it, people started so are noticing. The, sorry. Are the ticks, are they brought on by stress? Are they, they, they are worse with stress. Yeah. Worse. So sometimes for some who have Tourette syndrome, they, I have heard of some that do experience it. Like they're pretty much good. And then when mm-hmm. stress or anxiety or boredom or anger or sadness comes along, then it gets worse. Um, in my experience, it's always there. Um, mm-hmm. like let's say on a scale of one to 10, it's always like at a three or four, no matter what. But then if I get stressed, okay. angry, upset, worried, any of that, then it goes up to a nine or 10. Um, wow. and so that's what would happen. It would go up to this nine or okay. 10. And, uh, so my feelings were being hurt. I was being teased about it. People started seeing mm-hmm. it and making fun of me. Um, again, my grades were suffering. And so, and, and I was in pain. So my parents decided that we should probably figure out what was going on. And uh, so I grew up in LA and uh, my parents decided to take me to the University of Southern California, USC, to go see one of their top neurologists to get a diagnosis. And uh, we went in and I think seriously, after he did some of like the knee tapping thing, checking my stomach, just like the basic overall, let's see how your body is. um, He diagnosed me probably in under five minutes and he he did say, Jake, you have what is called Tourette syndrome. And he said it to me like I was supposed to know what that was, but I had no mm-hmm. idea at 16 years old what the heck that was and what that meant. Mm-hmm. And um, the way he, he was a very like monotone neurologist, mm-hmm. he did when he said it, he like was super, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like solemn about it. So I thought like matter of fact, exactly. Just, just this very is what matter, you have. This and- is what you have. <laughs> um, he said, then he, he, so he says, you have Tourette's syndrome, Jake. There is no cure for it. There is medication that we can give you to help you deal with it, but there is nothing that can actually get rid of the ticks permanently. And again, yeah, 
hearing that you're going to have this the rest of your life, I just like, that was all I really heard. And all I could think about at the time was what the heck does this mean for me? Like, am I going to be able to go on a mission? Am I going to be able to get married? Like, is anybody going to want to marry me if I have this problem? Are my kids going to have this problem? Am I going to be able to do it? Like go to college? Am I going to be able to be successful and like have a regular life? And at that moment, that was all that was going through my head. And, Mm -hmm. um, so for the longest time, so from 16 to about 24 years old, I didn't want anybody to know I had Tourette's syndrome. I didn't want anybody to know. I, the only people I told were my mission companions because I had to go pick up medication monthly. And so I thought I would explain to them why I was going up and, you know, why I was getting this medication and what they could expect. And then yeah. my immediate family, like my parents and siblings, I didn't even, I didn't tell my cousins. I didn't tell my aunts and uncles. Um, I didn't even tell my best friends because I was yeah, I was ashamed of it. I was embarrassed to see what people would think because Tourette syndrome had that stigma. There's something wrong with yeah. you. People are crazy who have Tourette syndrome. It's embarrassing to be around. And so that's what I didn't want. Um, mm. And so, yeah, it wasn't until I was in my 20, 23, 24 um, that I decided I, like you, wanted to start a blog. And awesome. uh, <laughs> I thought, well, what can I blog about that's different and that people will be able to connect with? Like, what? audience can I reach that isn't just some broad audience and mm-hmm. uh, at that time I I was recognizing again as I was dealing with anxiety and depression and had been diagnosed with PTSD after my dad passed away um, it was just so, the worst that sorry ever been. talk about that talk about that really quick because I think that's an, an important part in, in your story so your dad was diagnosed as terminal when you were 14 15 right when you were um, you know, diagnosed yourself <laughs> with yeah. this other thing. And so I'm sure that that had a lot of, of weight bearing on, you know, how, how you were going to do this and losing your dad and things like that. But your dad actually lived quite a long time after his terminal diagnosis. He so did. Tell a little bit about that. And sure. then the PTSD things that kind of came along with it, with the ticks. Sure. So, um, I didn't even really know as I was getting into my early twenties, I was, I came home from my mission. I got married. I was in college. Um, I, that I started noticing things were getting harder in life. And at that point, my dad, so he was diagnosed and given about six to seven years at that time, it was that six, seven year mark. And, um, I was living every day wondering when something was going to happen. So dealing with that fear and that, uh, worry every single day on top of dealing with full-time work, full-time school, my own family. Um, I'm the oldest of five kids. And during this time, my siblings were a lot younger. And so I felt that responsibility to help take care of them. Um, For sure. So it was a lot to handle. And uh, that's mm-hmm. when I decided to go in and, excuse me, I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression because I was just at that point where there was no way out. I couldn't, I couldn't find any happiness in anything anymore. And that wasn't my personality growing up. I was happy with the little things in life. I was always laughing. I was always telling jokes. I was always having fun. And it just, there was like a switch that was flipped and I just, people started noticing I wasn't Jake anymore. And so, um, anyways, to answer, to go back on my dad. So, uh, he passed away when I was 24 years old. And, um, so right about this, so it was about the same time. Yeah. So I was kind of at that peak of dealing with everything at the worst it was. 
And uh, my wife and I, we were at BYU. We weren't doing, we we're college students, so we weren't making much money at all. And uh, I heard an opportunity to go out with my cousin to do some pest control sales where you can make a lot of money in a summer. And Emily was, let's see, she, we found out she was pregnant in January and this was in May. So she was four or five months pregnant. Um, and we decided to go out and do summer sales. So we sold everything we had down in Provo and we moved out to Little Rock, Arkansas, which is the hottest place on the planet. And, uh, my wife, so we were, we went out, my wife was super pregnant. And before we left, um, I just had a feeling that we shouldn't leave and I couldn't figure out why. And my dad was doing okay, actually, at this time. And I just kept having this feeling that we shouldn't leave. And the day that we were supposed to drive off to Arkansas, um, we got in the car, we said goodbye. My dad kept making these jokes, like, maybe I'll be here in a couple months when, when you come back. And I was like, why are you even joking about that? Like, your mm -hmm. first granddaughter is going to be born in September. And there's no reason for you to even joke about this. So um, we ended up pulling away and I stopped and I said, I feel like we shouldn't go. But my dad said, you guys need to earn money. You need to go out. This is going to be good for you. And we did need to earn money. We were desperate at that time. So we ended up going. And two weeks after we left, uh, my dad, we got a call in the middle of the night that he was gone. And uh, I was the only one not there for it. There was no yeah. warning at all. Like, hey, your dad's probably going to die today. Um, yeah. And so... That was when everything in my life, just like, that was it for me. Um, yeah, I had, I can imagine. yeah, so much regret, so much anger, so much guilt. And, uh, eventually, you know, I was finding myself at the cemetery daily. I was doing my homework at the cemetery. I was oh. nightmares every single night, not functioning because of all of this that I was holding up plus missing him at the same time. And that's mm. when I was eventually diagnosed with PTSD, which okay. I didn't think any regular person could have. I thought that was for people who went to war, suffered in a natural disaster, yeah. but. Oh, it's so, it's so common. I, so my 19 year old son, I haven't talked about this on here yet and I will probably one day, but um, he got in a longboarding accident and he almost died. He got a brain injury and I have PTSD from that. Just the other day, my, my husband got a motorcycle and oh. my son took it for a ride. And I just, it's un, like, it's, it's uncontrollable. I cannot control the stress that I feel. And it's different than just a re regular mom stress. It's, it's PTSD. So I understand it. And it's so, it is so common. So I feel like this is an important part of your story. So thank you so much You're for welcome. being vulnerable and sharing it. Sure. You bet. So mm -hmm. then you started going to a doctor mm -hmm. um, that diagnosed you with the PTSD. And I think in your bio, you talked about, um, no, well, you talked about starting the blog. Yes. And then yeah, so, that's kind of when you started minimalism. <laughs> yeah, it was. So I started the blog just initially as an educational thing for parents to be able to recognize if their kids might have Tourette syndrome. So things to look for because what so many kids and even adults go undiagnosed. And so they're dealing and suffering through this for so much time that it isn't until later when they read something or see a video like one I've done where people are like, I think I may actually have that. Um, and so that was kind of my hope with that. And uh, so I was taking medication. I was seeing professionals that were trying to help me through things and it still wasn't enough. And so, um, you know, obviously on the faith side, I was praying and, and hoping that I would find something and that would help me be able to cope with what I was dealing with. And uh, mm -hmm. 
I love Netflix as almost everybody does. <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Yep. <laughs> and uh, I turned on, I was really at this time really into documentaries. Like it was just a good way for me to kind of escape and learn and find out new exciting things about the world. And there was one that was called Minimalism. And uh, I was like, wow, this looks really intriguing. It really just like, it was like my soul uh, connected with it. So I watched it and just learned more about what decluttering is. And I've always been very organized as far as like my physical space. And I've always been very decluttered, I guess. Um, clutter has never been a part of my life. I've never liked it. I don't do well with it. Um, and as I was watching this, I realized though that there was way more than just like what your home looks like or what your room looks like or what your garage looks like or your cupboards. It was more, they dove into a lot on how to declutter your life in general and how to get rid of things in your life that were causing added anxiety or added stress or anger or resentment or jealousy. And so um, I was like, man, there's something here I think I can start applying in my own life. And so that's what I started doing. I started getting rid of things that I had control over that were just making my life harder or more difficult to deal with. I felt like I already had too much on my plate. So I started trying to see what I could let go of and my life just started, you know, getting easier as things like the hard things started shrinking and um, I started eliminating them. And so, yeah, anyways, years ago, uh, probably three years ago or so, I ended up wanting to write a book and I was speaking on mental health and speaking to businesses. And I thought, well, what the heck is a unique message or book that I could write about? And so I decided to write this book on minimalism and how cutting the crap, that was my phrase, could eliminate <laughs> this stuff that we're, that so many of us, almost every single one of us probably nowadays is dealing with just by getting rid of those toxic things in our lives that we don't need. We think we need, but we really don't. Yes, that's amazing. So as you were discovering this new um, thing in your life, the minimalism and um, did, so you moved back, you only stayed in Arkansas for a little bit so and then you're back. In we Utah. went, we went to Arkansas just for a couple months, came back. We mm -hmm. lived in Utah for several years, um, ended up moving out to Dallas for an opportunity that didn't work out. And then we came back to Utah and I think we're going to be here for, I don't know how forever, probably. Yep. So, well, you've moved 12 times in eight years, so who knows? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd like to not have to move. <laughs> so how would you say the minimalist lifestyle has affected your Tourette's? I think because of that anxiety, stress, anger aspect and how that correlates mm -hmm. with me act actually acting out in ticks and, and the, uh, I guess the, um, the attacks that I have with that. So obviously again, the more anxious I am, the more upset I am, the more bored I am, things like that, the more that these ticks become apparent and uh, kind of take over. And so I realized as I, I realized as I started getting rid of these things that obviously if there was less opportunity for me to be angry and upset and stressed and, and all of these things, and so if I did that, then there would be less ticks. And so that was kind of like my equation. If I take away this, then all I have left is this, which makes less of this. And so um, that's, that's actually why it made a difference for me. Um, right. It didn't take it away. And, yeah. you know, one, yeah. <laughs> one thing about Tourette syndrome is a huge percentage of those with Tourette syndrome actually deal with it in their adolescence. And then as they become an adult, um, it actually... Uh, goes away or it gets oh, super wow. minimal. Um, uh -huh. I'm trying to think, I want to say it's like 15% or so actually deal with it 
for their entire lives. And unfortunately, I'm one of those 15% who it's actually gotten worse for me as I've gotten older. And so I've had to find other coping mechanisms to help me because medicine can only do so much. Therapy can only do so much. So I've had to figure out what I can do to cope with it as it's been getting worse as I've been getting older. So I think that's a great segue. I would love to hear maybe one or two specific strategies. So even with the minimalism, so I, I know nothing about minimalism. I um, definitely, you know, when I hear it, I think of like style more right, right. <laughs> than anything. And I love it. <laughs> I love having everything clean and kind of not little things everywhere and stuff. But tell me about, um, could you maybe tell a few specific things that you, you chose to cut that were crap in your life yeah. and you chose to cut them and, and that's why it's kind of helped you um, with your stress level and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And when you say it has to do with style that it, it, minimalist art, that's where minimalism really did start was in, was in art and design. And then they've kind of just more in our modern day adapted it to more of a lifestyle and, and spreading it out past that. Um, but some of the things that helped me the most and got rid of the most stress or the most bitterness or anger or frustration, depression, anything. Um, one of the biggest was relationships. Um, I wouldn't say relationships were crap, but um, mm -hmm. yes. though there are <laughs> relationships that are crap, um, I've always been very uh, invested in my relationships. And so throughout my life, I've had a lot of guilt and regret or sadness when, you know, people come into your life and they leave at certain times for certain reasons. But when they left my life, I, that was something I wouldn't, I didn't want. That was something I wanted to control. Mm -hmm. I don't want you leaving my life. Don't leave my life. And, uh, there were relationships that I held on to that were way past expiration that just weren't supposed to be a part of my life anymore. But for some reason I wanted them to be. And when I finally was able to uh, gain control of that and just let go, um, I noticed a huge uh, transformation in my life. And I noticed a, a bigger freedom internally and mentally that I didn't realize was being held back because of relationships that I wasn't letting go of. Um, so relationships was one. Um, two, I mean, really, when you, when you are dealing with a lot in life and you're in a cluttered space or you are in s some sort of environment where there's a lot of noise or a lot of people or just a lot going on, that adds to that. And, um, you know, I always like to tell people if you walk into a nice, if you're walking into Home Depot and there's two kitchens, there's one that has clutter all over the counters, there's dirt on the floor, there's loud music or you go into another uh, model that they have in there and it's all clean and it's fresh and it's sparkling and it's quiet and peaceful. You know, when you're angry or upset or stressed and you walk into each of those environments, which one are you going to thrive in more? Obviously the more organized, the more quiet, the more peaceful environment. So whatever you can do in your own home to be able to create that peaceful environment. I'm not saying you have to have white walls and one plant in your room yeah. and nothing on shelves. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying something that it, being in a space that gives you peace, that's what you need to create in your home, in your office, your work desk, whatever it is. So that when you are in those uh, heated times or those times where you're struggling, um, your environment isn't adding to that. Yeah, that's really interesting. So um, I, as I explained in episode one, um, if anybody missed it, they can kind of hear my story, but I am pretty much homebound for most of, um, most of the time. I have a few 
I call them safe places, but nowhere is really safe because I can have a reaction so quickly anywhere. Um, and so my home kind of became my prison. <laughs> and then I, I, I don't deal well with that. I don't, I, I enjoy interacting with people. I enjoy going out and, um, that at the beginning of my, my diagnosis was so, so difficult for me. And we lived, we just recently moved about eight months ago and I loved my house. I loved my neighborhood. I really, really, really miss my friends there, but, um, we didn't have enough room for everything and everyone. And the worst part was the cars for me because <laughs> I was always, they were so nice and let mom park in the garage, but then I could never get out of the garage. <laughs> so it's so interesting because we really felt that we were supposed to move and we ended up building a house, which I really didn't want to. I just wanted to go somewhere else, but um, it backs a, a path and ravine and it has the most beautiful view and my home is no longer my prison for me it is like kind of a sanctuary for me and my kids make fun of me but there are people walking on the path and I can like people watch <laughs> and I can um, just take in sunsets and sunrises and there's wildlife we have a, a family of baby quail that have been in our scrub oak and it really has so I, I can see what you're saying how just changing your environment and that doesn't mean that I couldn't have changed that within my other other home. But um, for me, you know, we were supposed to move and this is where we're at. And it really has been such a, a great thing for me. So I think that's interesting that um, those things then led you to your new... <laughs> Your new job, I which know. I think you do a great job of. You're constantly posting these beautiful houses <laughs> that I kind of just look and dream. <laughs> well, thank you. So is that kind of what led you to your new, your new Yeah, you know, I've, I've always been uh, attracted and magnetized for some reason to real estate. And um, as, as I've done different careers in my life, um, it, it just came up at the right time and I realized it was everything I wanted all in one job and in one career. And I don't even look at it as a job. I just look at it as, as more of a, like, it's just fun for me and I, and I enjoy <laughs> it and it motivates me. And, you know, just like what you said right now, you, now your home is that sanctuary for you. And, and mm -hmm. I love being able to see people find those places that they can make home and they can make the place that they actually want to be at. And again, love. And so, yeah, it's been amazing being able to, to do that. I think it's great. I love hearing your story and how each little piece has kind of contributed into the next piece. And um, I think the last question um, that I would like to ask you is a bigger one. We can talk about it for a minute. Um, but I really would like to know for my listeners what role God has played in helping you throughout this trial that really, really started when you were five years old, even though you didn't quite know it. Yeah. Um, what role has he played and are there any specific strategies that are, um, that you have gotten from religion or anything like that, that can also help you through your trial? Absolutely. I think it's interesting. You know, we've, we've talked longer than I probably should have. Um, and God is the biggest piece yet we've I haven't talked about him as much and I haven't done that on purpose. Um, but looking back at my life, um, just from when I was five to 
when I went on my mission at 19, um, there was so much going on in my life that, so I, growing up in LA, um, we had, my high school was 4,500 kids and there was only about 15 members in my high school at, at one time. And, and you're, you're a member of the church of member Jesus Christ of, the church of, of Latter-day, Saints. Latter-day Saints. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Make that clear. It's okay. <laughs> um, I was the only member of the church, uh, in, in my high school, you know, 50 of 15 people in my high school. And, um, out of all my friends at school, I was really the only one. And uh, being faithful and having grown up in a church where I had support and faith and religion was huge for me as a teenager because it helped me with my morals. It helped me in the decisions that I've made. And then it helped me during those times when, as a teenager, I was having to take care of my four younger siblings. I was having to basically live in a hospital for a couple of years while my dad was going through some of his biggest trials. And, um, but also trying to have that faith that things would be okay. Um, it was funny as a teenager, I'd always pray that my dad would heal and he would get over it. And for the longest time I couldn't figure out why those prayers weren't being answered. Like why the heck did he not get better? And he ended up did, you know, uh, dying of that disease. And, um, I, it was then that I realized that Heavenly Father has a different plan and we can't control that. And there's lessons to be learned throughout that. And, you know, this Tourette, I even still sometimes I ask myself, why out of my five siblings am I the only one with this? I feel like I already have enough going on. <laughs> like, why is, why? is it hereditary? Um, yes, it, yes, earlier. it is. Um, okay. it, I wouldn't say it's super hereditary. Like, I don't like the, my kids. There's a good chance they probably won't have it. Um, but it definitely does pass down through genes and, um, but neither of my parents had it. So I think it came from a great uncle or a great grandfather. Um, but, uh, sorry, where am I going with this? Oh, um, it was interesting because when I went on my mission at 19, I had a huge, there were two big fears of mine. One was losing my dad. That something happened when I was gone. The other was how the heck am I going to deal with what I'm dealing with, with threat syndrome and be out there as a missionary? Like all these people are going to see me. Um, it's worse like when I have a tie, a collar and a tie on because it restricts. Um, and so it just, it makes it so much worse. So I was like, how am I going to wear a suit and tie every day and deal with this? And I will tell you, um, that one of the biggest miracles in my entire life was heavenly father took away. God took away my Tourette syndrome for that two years that I was out serving as a missionary and representative for my church. I wouldn't say it was completely gone, but when Mm -hmm. I think back to what a blessing it was that I, I don't remember ever having episodes. I don't remember ever feeling like, Oh my gosh, I'm, this is so bad. I may need to go home. Um, I can't focus on what I need to focus on. It was the only two years in my life that I didn't really deal with Tourette syndrome. And that was a full Mm -hmm. miracle and a blessing from him uh, because of the work that I was out there doing for him. And, uh, you know, coming back, the moment I got back from my mission, it was back. And I've been dealing with it ever since. But um, knowing that I could pray and receive, um, you know, his awareness and his blessings that when I'm struggling with it the most, that I could pray and ask him to help me deal with it. um, I do. I get through it and I'm okay. And uh, it's something I'm going to deal with the rest of my life. And it's something I know he's aware of. But I think at those times where... I'm going to need it gone if I'm struggling with something else that he will help me through that. 
And uh, it's comforting to know that he's going to be there for me whenever I need it most. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing something so um, special and sacred to you. And I want to tell you, I, I don't share this either, but um, I know that I've been given my trial. I think everybody is given trials for a reason um, to grow and learn and um, refine us. And I know that my, my health struggles have been placed in my life to teach me things. And there are a lot of times where I tell Heavenly Father, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't. And so my level of like what I feel like I can handle is like right here. And his level of what he thinks I can handle is like right here. So way higher, for those of you listening. And, um, but when I get to kind of his level, so I'm way stretched past my, what I think I can handle. He really does give me those same types of tender mercies that you're talking about and, and miracles. And I will, I will have a break for a little bit and it is so special and I'm so grateful for it. So thank you so much for kind of pointing those tender mercies because I really do believe that they're real. And I believe that, um, heavenly father can, because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth. And because Jesus Christ suffered for our sins, I think we think about the atonement and a lot of times we just think about, he kind of fixes the things that I do wrong and, and which is wonderful. And I'm very, very grateful for that because I do a lot of things that, (laughs) you know, make mistakes as everybody does. And, but the part that really I've learned about as I've gone through my trial is the enabling power of that atonement and the fact that Jesus Christ actually suffered what I'm suffering. He knows what it's like to have an airborne peanut allergy, which is crazy to think. He knows what it's like to have Tourette syndrome. Oh, I almost said it wrong. (laughs) Tourette syndrome. And he has felt that. And because he's felt that, he can help us in a way that nobody else can. And I'm so grateful for that. And that's another reason why I've started this podcast, because you and I have been through difficult things. And I'm not, of course, comparing us to the Savior, but because you have been through Tourette syndrome and because you have been through PTSD and anxiety and all of those different things, you now are able to help people in a completely different way than you ever were able to. And I'm so grateful for you sharing your story with us here. Um, as we end, um, I do want to kind of know, you talked about public speaking and sorry to transition from such a spiritual place, <laughs> but um, I know that there are people that are going to listen to this that are really going to be touched by your story. Maybe they're thinking that their children have Tourette or maybe they have suffered through the the death of a parent and are resonating with you that way. What is the best way for them to reach out to you? Social media. So whether Facebook or Instagram, mostly Um, I'm my username. You could look up Jake Melton and find me either way, or my Instagram is SLC for Salt Lake city homeboy. Um, so they could find me there. And if you have any questions or you need advice or guidance for any of those listening, uh, just send me a message, um, or comment. And I will, I would love to be able to help any way I can. 
Wonderful. Thank you. And if anybody um, was interested about the minimalism and wanted to read your book, what is it called and how can they find the it? The book is called Minimalize to Maximize Your Happiness, Cut the Crap. So if you just type in Minimalism, Cut the Crap on Amazon, it, that, it, that book will come up. There's a, an original edition and then a workbook edition as well. And those are both available on Amazon. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you all for listening. And we will see you here next Wednesday. Thank you. Bye. I want to give a special thanks to my son, Carter, for recording and writing our intro and outro music for this podcast. If you want to hear more of his music, you can find him on Instagram at CarterGuitar456. 